Thank you, Miss Sue Ann. And good morning again, everybody. All righty, let's see here. Looks like David uh, Anders has got uh, Children's Church, and, and Don will be going over to help. So 12 and under, they'd like to go over for Children's Church. You're released to do that now. And for uh, the rest of us, Is Thy Heart Right With God, number 323. We'll use the fourth and the fifth verse of this hymn as our hymn of invitation this morning. Good looking crew heading over, looks like. Very good. And uh, again, want to welcome everybody out this morning. And those of you that are signing on to Facebook or onto YouTube later on today, we want to welcome you. But also, uh, if you're able to be here with us in person, we want to invite you to uh, to do that. Be here anytime that you can. If you're if you're not, we're we're glad that we're able to meet with you this way. Uh, Visitors have several visitors this morning. Good to have you here as well. Uh, and, uh, it's going to be an exciting day, a, a wonderful day today. Uh, if you've not figured out, where we've had a young man that's going to accept Christ as his Savior at the end of the service. So glad to share and be part of that as well. Blessed uh, with, with sharing that experience. And it's always a privilege to share God's Word with you. Well, if you've looked at any of the news, watched anything, read any stories, I have come to the conclusion that it would be nice if we could just fire world leaders. Just go through and just say, you're fired, you're gone. Uh, and send them packing and let someone else step in and make decisions. Last week, if you recalled, I discussed how that we could help folks, correction and that sort of thing or encouragement, whatever it was that they may need, different scenarios we looked at. And this week, I want to focus on us, not necessarily helping folks out there, but making sure that we focus on us, people in this room, people that's watching live or, or later on onto YouTube. And I only have one question I want you to answer for yourself this morning, and I want you to take this one very seriously. Not that I don't want you to take all my questions seriously, but I really, I want you to dig down and, and honestly answer this self, this question for yourselves, not just today, but I want you to think on this and pray on this throughout the course of the week. But I want you to answer to yourself, what is your number one priority? What is your number one priority? And I want us to think on that. Uh, maybe you're saying, well, why is he asking? Why is he asking us that? Why is he asking what my number one priority? Well, without going into a lot of detail, I do want to say the reason I say that is because of the things that's going on in the world around us. And I know we've had things, and since I was a kid, I've, I've heard things going on and on and on. But right now, as we gather here this morning, we have people in Florida and in South Carolina, their priority is getting a place to live. And then we have people that over in the Ukraine, you know what their number one priority this morning is? They just want to live, okay? And then we have many people in this country, and, and we all know we're affected, and there may be some in this room that's affected by this next statement. We have many people in this country who, who their main priority right now is reworking their budget 
so that they can afford to pay their bills and, and buy the food and, and, and make, take care of the obligations that they have. And that's what's going on in the world around us. And I'm not saying any of those priorities are bad priorities. Because if I was a resident of Fort Myers, Florida, you better believe my number one thing that I'm going to be on my mind is where am I going to live if my house was d destroyed or damaged? If I was a citizen of Ukraine, I'd make sure that I'd be making sure that my family, myself, our lives were protected in as much as was possible. And if we had an effect of something happened that I had to worry about paying my bills and buying food and, and taking care of my obligations, that's going to be first and foremost on my mind. Because that's what we think about whenever we're surrounded by these things, these outside forces that, that we really have no control over. But sometimes it shifts our focus, shifts our priority to something else. So what is your number one priority? We're going to look at an example from the scriptures this morning that I think shows a good, uh, a good answer to that priority. Mark chapter 10, if you will, turn with me over there. This is going to be a, one that we're familiar with, I think. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52 is the scripture. man named Bartimaeus. Anybody know Bartimaeus? We've, I think we've discussed Bartimaeus in the past. Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot of sermons done about Bartimaeus. He's not a real eloquent character. He's, he's not really that famous. Uh, he is in the fact that, that Jesus had an encounter with him. But I want us to use Bartimaeus' example, probably someone that you would think of the least likely person about setting priorities in our lives. I want to use Bartimaeus this morning as an example for us uh, how to set that number one priority. Because uh, blind Bartimaeus' story really doesn't fit our world today, does it, when we think about that? Uh, we don't have blind beggars sitting on the roadside or a busy place of commerce, I should say, uh, begging for food or money. And it's sad to note that really he, his only description in this passage of scripture is that he's blind, his name's Bartimaeus, and he's the son of Timaeus. And we'll look at those possibilities here in a minute or two, too, as well. So Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. A little short passage of scripture here. Uh, all the synoptics carry the same story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they came to Jericho. And he's, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried out the more, a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight 
and follow Jesus in the way. We see this. This is uh, one of his final healings, Jesus' ministry. It's repeated, as I said, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And to look at this account, we're going to look at, at what the other writers say that, that gives us more detail about this blind man and the Savior. And beginning in verse 46, and they came to Jericho, and he, was, and he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. A great crowd. Now we know that could be a, a few hundred up to a few thousand as according to what we have studied in the past about the number of people that would be following along with Jesus. Enough so that this blind man who, how he made his living basically, was sitting on the roadside and something was different about today. Something was different because of the number of people, the volume of, of maybe uh, the sound of feet on, the, on the, the roadway or the voices that were being heard, the stories that were being told, maybe even the uh, accents of the people that was following along. Bartimaeus knew something was different about this day. And we have to think about this. Matthew says it's a large crowd, a great multitude. They came to Jericho. That's also the city of Palms, which is about six-hour walk to Jerusalem. Magnificent place, history describes it as. And the story recorded here for us in Joshua chapter 6 about the destruction of Jericho when the walls came falling down. Israelites marched around seven days. Remember that story, Bible, Sunday school story? So that's the same Jericho. Well-known history to the Jewish people. It's Passover. This is the Passover season. The excitement is building around Passover, and it intensified. And the one who would be or could be Messiah has come to Jericho. But the story does not focus on Jericho. As a matter of fact, notice in verse 46, what did it say? They came and they left. They came to Jericho and they left Jericho. Nothing in the middle. Not to say that there wasn't anything that went on. That's not where the story focuses. The story focuses when they're in Jericho about this blind man named Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the road who was begging. That's what the story focuses on. And as I said earlier, it'd be a good spot. Kind of like going to Walmart and sitting. If you wanted to go someplace that there was a lot of people coming through that you could uh, ask for help, ask for money, it'd be at like a Walmart or a Kroger or someplace like that where there'd be a lot of traffic coming through. So that's, he was trying to be successful in what he did, and that's where he went, someplace that would make him successful. Many beggars in Israel. Barmas is not unusual, not unto himself, because... Uh, they had different ailments. Blindness is what was wrong with him. We don't know what made him blind. Scriptures doesn't tell us. But we do know this, or we should know this from our past studies in the Scriptures, that the blind folks were pretty much reduced to begging because they were blind, and in their theology, you were under some kind of divine judgment. You were blind because God was punishing you or your parents. You remember back in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 9, the 
the blind man, now this is a different blind man, that uh, Jesus had, had spit in the, in the clay and made a, made a paste and rubbed on his eyes and had him to go walk in the pool or wash in the pool of Siloam. Remember what the disciples asked Jesus? Who sinned that this man is blind, him or his parents? Remember that? So they figured if you're blind that you're suffering some kind of divine judgment. And that's how people relegated and looked at uh, those that were blind. Why does it give us his name? What, I mean, what does it matter? The one in John didn't have a name. Remember, we even learned about his parents as the parents uh, were called before the priest and wanted to know if he was blind from the beginning, uh, from his birth. And they were scared of the, of, the, of the priest. And they said, you'll have to ask him. And, and we went through all of this story and don't know his name, but we know Barnabas' name. And there's an important reason, I think, behind that. We kind of just skip over it, may not think about it that way. But uh, I think it was because he become a well-known believer. I think it uh, was uh, a well-known person in the early church. And, and I'll, play, I'll uh, prove that out here shortly. But by the time that Mark had wrote this gospel, I think Bartimaeus was someone that was known to the early church. A conversion story is what we're seeing here. Now Luke tells us in chapter 18 that Barnabas hears the crowd going by. Now if you want to turn over there, 18 verse 36. Luke says this, And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. Hey, what's going on? Where's, why all these people coming through here? What's, what's different about this crowd than the normal crowd that I hear walking by each and every day? And somebody says, It's Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus is passing by. So we go back to Mark, verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So he tries to be heard over the noise of the crowd. Again, a great multitude, many, many people. You have this blind beggar sitting on the roadside, throngs of people walking by, and we know what kind of a noise that can make. Just a crowd walking, talking. Just the, the, the sound, and just to think about dirt road, dust probably billowing up, people coughing and sneezing, and it's just what we normally do. Just think about the noise that would be made. And here, this blind man, what's going on? What's, what's different? Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David. And he acknowledges him as the Messiah in that statement as the Savior in that statement. He knew who he was. So here we have this man who recognized Jesus as the true Messiah. Not only that, he knows he has a need. Why? Because of their culture. You think no one had told Bartimaeus before that, hey, you're blind because either you've done a sin or your parents done a sin. You're an outcast. There's sin attached to your life. We don't want to have anything to do with you because you're marked by sin. This is not something new to Barnabas. He knows that. But what else does he know? He has got one hope. One hope. One shot. And it's Jesus. And here he is walking by. And that's, what, that's the picture that I want to paint for you. 
the hustle and bustle of life, just like for all of us at one time or another, maybe now for some of you in this room or watching, life is just going by. All of the noises, all of the familiar things that we encounter each and every day in our lives is happening just like it was for Bartimaeus in this account. But Bartimaeus knew that he had one hope. And the sad thing about it is there are so many in this world, maybe in this room, maybe watching on the video, that doesn't realize that Jesus is their only hope. Bartimaeus knew this. Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was his only hope, and he was not going to let this opportunity pass him by. And that's the account that we see here. The account that, look at verse 48. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. Can you imagine? Shh. Hush. Be quiet. Don't bother with him. Hold your peace. But you know we do the exact same thing to people crying out for help each and every day. Well, Rob, I've never told anybody to hold their peace. You may not have, but have you, like we talked about last week and, and before, have you refused to go to someone that needed help, that you knew you could help? There's no difference in that in saying hold your peace to blind Barnabas. None. When we withhold something good that we know that it's a person's only hope, then we're no different than that crowd of people walking by that blind man who realized that Jesus was his only hope and tell him to be quiet. And that's what we see exactly why, because human nature has not changed, folks. We're still the same way. We think we're walking with Jesus, we got it all together, and, and we're going to keep it all together. And don't be bothering with those that are marked with sin. But every one of us in this room is marked with sin. And the only difference in us and blind Bartimaeus at this point is that those that have accepted Christ, those sins are covered and forgotten and blotted out, the scripture tells me. So what do they say? Many charged him that he should hold his peace. But what did Bartimaeus do? Scripture says that he cried out the more a great deal he got loud. He said, ain't no way. This is my one shot, and I am not letting it pass me by. So he went from level five probably to level ten with as loud as he could scream. Now remember, great multitude of people. Great multitude of people. Jesus, son of David, I'm over here. Whatever it took for him to be heard, he was going to be heard. And I want to tell you from past experience myself, whenever you get to that point and you realize that Jesus Christ is your only hope, you're going to make every effort that you can to accept him and nothing's going to stand in your way. Nothing. Nobody, no embarrassment, no past history, no reputation, nothing is going to stand in your way to accept Jesus Christ. You're going to scream out to the top of your lungs like old Martimus did if you have to. Because you know, without that one shot, you're hopeless. And that's what we see here with blind Barnabas. And then what happened? What happened? Look over Luke uh, 18, verse 13. And this is what it kind of reminds me of. 
And the publican standing afar off would not lift up his eyes so much unto heaven and smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what Barnabas is doing. That's the same kind of humbleness when we come to the Lord, when we realize we got one hope and Jesus is it. That's where, you, that's where your humbleness comes in there, folks. That's not weakness. That's not weakness. That's just acknowledging I've got one hope, one shot, and Jesus is it. And I'm not worthy of it, God. I'm, I'm so unworthy. I'm going to pray, but I'm not even going to raise my eyes toward heaven because I'm not worthy to even look in the direction where you are. But I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love that you show to me through Jesus Christ. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. But we're too proud sometimes to say that to ourselves, ain't we? Oh, we'll admit it maybe to ourselves in a prayer. But our pride won't let us admit to somebody that, that maybe is in the same boat we were in 30, 40, 50 years ago and say, listen, I was right there in the same spot you are and praise God that he loves me enough that he sent Jesus Christ to die for me and I don't have to stay where I was. And that's what Barnabas realizes. He don't have to stay where he is because the Messiah, my only hope is a walking by. And here these people are trying to stop me, not today. Not today. They're not stopping me. Verse 49. Look what happened. Because he cried out. And that's what we need to understand. What did it say happened? And Jesus stood still. He stopped. He heard that voice. That voice over all of the other multitude. You know they weren't just walking down the road being real quiet and just filing by. They didn't do that to Jesus. People were making requests to Jesus. They wanted a touch from Jesus. Remember the woman that, that just touched the hem of his garment as he walked by? People, and I don't want to use the word harassing, but they were coming to Jesus. They wanted, they wanted to talk to Jesus. They making requests to Jesus. Jesus, son of David. What was that? He heard a voice amongst all that crowd, and he stopped. We have that same hope, folks. God hears us. God hears us when we call out to him, when we're in the state of Barnabas. When we realize, when we've come to the point of humbleness that I'm, I'm not even worthy to look up toward heaven, forgive me a sinner, when I know that Jesus is my only hope, and in that moment, that one moment that I have the opportunity, and I cry out to the Lord, guess what? He hears you. Amen. He hears you. And that's what we see here. That's what we see. Jesus stood still. And then what? Commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man. You want to see hypocrisy in black and white? Be of good comfort. Rise. He calleth you. That's the same people that were saying, hush up. Don't bother him. Oh, Biff, good comfort. The master calls you. Come, come. Now, all of a sudden, they think he's got some importance. But you know what? He's always had importance. And we should be able to realize that. Well, the sooner that we realize that every person in this room, every person that we encounter day to day, every person on this planet has importance to God and get over this like these folks was that, no, not today. 
I'm not, I'm not letting you come up to Jesus today. I'm not going to tell you about Jesus today. He's my Jesus and just my Jesus, and you can't have it. The sooner we get over that, the more that we'll be able to do like we see here. Be of good comfort. Jesus hears you come to him. And what did Bartimaeus do? Look in the next verse. He didn't just come to him. When Jesus stopped, getting a little ahead of himself, Luke chapter 18, verse 40, he says he, he, uh, he commanded he be brought to him. 1840, and Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him. So Jesus changed their tune. And, and we've got some people, folks, sadly to say, in our, in our churches all around this community and county and state and globe that need their tune changed. You need your tune changed to be more accommodating to, to people just like Jesus was accommodating to us. I Praise God he heard my cry. Praise God nobody tried to keep me quiet and shoved me over to the side. And heaven help the person that would have tried to got in my way when I stepped out right over there and come up. I'm afraid I would have shoved you aside because I wasn't stopping because I knew where my hope lied. I was coming to Jesus just like Barnabas was not going to let that happen. So what's he do? Verse 50 back in, uh, in Mark. And he cast away his garment, rose and came. He threw that dude get out of my way I'm coming through Jesus has called me and I am coming through probably the only possession the man had folks was his coat his cloak we don't uh, that's so foreign to us we just can't imagine but here you got this blind beggar sitting on the roadside he's got nothing he's begging for something you know what I'm saying the one thing he has is his coat or cloak as it's called which is the outer covering Got thousands of people walking by. Chucks it. There's no possession that he owns is more important than getting him in front of Jesus. Amen. Nothing. No possession. What about that, folks? Do we need to think about that as well? Told you there's a lot we can learn from a blind man right here. He chucks his only worldly possession that he has that we know of, that the Bible speaks of. Because nothing's going to stop him from getting to Jesus. Nothing's going to stop this one hope that he has in this man. Nothing. Possessions included. He only wants mercy. And that's what we're about to find out here. Verse 51. That reminds me of something though. Here we got something coming up and I want you to, I want you to pay particular close attention to this. He's cast away his garment, rose, and came to Jesus. Verse 50. Verse 51. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What can I do for you there, Barnabas? Now, if you look back in verse 36, he asked this question of two of his disciples. You remember that? What can I do for you, fellas? Well, we want you to set us on the right hand and your left hand when you go into your kingdom. 
so that people will lift us up, so that people will attend to us and hold us up in a high place. And Jesus, how did, do we recall what Jesus said to him? This is me paraphrasing, of course. That's not mine to give to you. That's my father's. He'll decide that. So he didn't answer their request, did he? Because they thought that by following Jesus, it was going to bring them some kind of special status within the church. I've got some kind of special place. I have a little more authority than you. I have a little more power than you. I have a little more preference than you because I'm following Jesus. There ain't none of us particularly special folks. We're all going to stand before Jesus in Judgment Day someday. Now, some of us are going to be more accountable than others. That don't make us special. That just puts more responsibility on us. And that's what we have to realize and understand went on right here because what did Barnabas want? When he asked Jesus, asked him that same question, what should, what should I do for you? What can I do for you, Barnabas? I just want to see. I just want to see. Reasonable request for a blind man, isn't it? What about if you're here today or watching today or, or watch later on? And Jesus was to come up to you and, and you were in that shape with Barnabas and you knew that, that you only had one hope at salvation, one hope for eternal salvation. And Jesus walks up to you today and says, what can I do for you? I just want to be saved, Lord. No difference. No difference. What happens? What happens? Verse 52, and Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Luke says in verse 42, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. So he came to Jesus in hope. He came to Jesus with the only hope that he had. He cast aside uh, only possession that the Bible speaks about that he has. He was not going to be stopped. He was going to be heard. He was coming to Jesus one way or another. And what did he get? He received his sight back because of what Jesus said. Your faith has made you whole. You've come to me. And that's the same picture of every sinner that's ever walked upon this planet and will ever walk upon this planet. That's the same story we all have. We have no hope until we come to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. God the Father for forgiveness through his son Jesus. And we have the hope of salvation. We was in the same boat. And that's what we see here. And what did, uh, what did Barnabas do after that? We have to turn over to Luke chapter 18. To find that out. Verse 43. So after, after Barnabas was saved by Jesus, because that's what Luke records, says saved. What did he do? He went on about his merry life and he showed up to church about six times a year and he gave about half of what he should when the when his offering plate was passed, and he didn't live exactly right, but he was saved. That's not what the scripture says, does it? And that's why I think Mark recorded his name, this blind man, his name, and who he was the son of, had no bearing at all in this story, Timius. It would have had no bearing except 
he was known and needed to be distinguished among the believers. That there was other Bartimaeuses there. But only this one Bartimaeus, who is now no longer blind, remember that? The son of Timaeus is no longer blind, but a follower of Jesus Christ. Look what the Luke reports here. Luke verse 43. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. He became a believer and he became a follower and a worshiper is what he did. And that's what we have to strive to do as, as Christians ourselves. Once you come up out of that baptistry, created a new creation in Christ, you become a worshiper. You become a follower. That's part of that new creation. And that's when you begin to show the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Father, the work of the Son in your life is by what is reflected by what follows baptism. Because we all got the same story of what precedes baptism. Sin. Guilt. Every one of us. It's what happens after that makes us different. It's what happened after Jesus saved him that made blind Bartimaeus, just Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a worshiper, a follower, following, praising God amongst all the people. I remember it. I remember after I left here this weekend, uh, the weekend that I was baptized, the Sunday morning, I was baptized. I went to work. Of course, my family all knew. But the first thing I did when I got to work on Monday morning, guess what? I got saved. And my people that I worked with was happy and rejoiced with me. It tickled them to death. And I told people that I had got saved. When's the last time you told somebody that you got saved by the Lord, by Jesus? Well, Rob, that's been 50 years ago. That's been 30 years ago. That's been 20 years ago. So, why would you not be as excited the day that you were saved as you was the day that you got saved? See what I'm saying? What's our priority, folks? What's our number one priority? Because we're the greatest witness that Jesus has on this planet is Christians. And if we can't go out and show compassion to people, why do we call ourselves Christian? If we can't be excited on in year 20 as we was day one, then something's wrong. There's something the matter. That somehow we've lost the enthusiasm to tell people, hey, I am saved. Guess what happened to me the other day? Guess what happened to me Sunday? I got baptized Sunday. I'm saved. And we need to encourage people to have that kind of enthusiasm. We need to encourage us to have that kind of baptism or enthusiasm, that kind of enthusiasm. When it comes to Christ and our salvation. How many of us know of Barnabas? Something in their life separating them from Jesus, but you know, they know about Jesus. And hopefully we're not standing in the way as the crowd did. Shh. Don't nothing to do with you. You got time to fool with you. This blind man's number one priority was what? Now you can answer that question, can't you? 
What was Bartimaeus' number one priority? Is to make sure that Jesus knew him. And I'm not trying to scare anybody in this room into accepting Christ, coming to church more, giving more money, doing more. I just want to encourage you this morning. I just want you to think about, is Jesus your number one priority? Is serving God your number one priority in your life? I'm not going to answer that, and I'm not going to pretend to judge you and tell you where your priorities lie. You know that. Barnabas gives us an excellent example of it. Because I want you to understand something. If Jesus, if God is not your number one priority in life, you're going to be disappointed in this life. Full of it. Full of disappointments. You're not going to be satisfied. There's always going to be a shortfall to your expectation. Always. Always. And you're really going to be disappointed when the trumpet sounds. Amen. Because God plays second fiddle to nobody. Not a soul. You've got to decide this stuff for yourself, folks. You've got to be the judge if where you are is where you should be. That's my job. My priorities in life is, number one, is to serve God to the best of my ability. You know what my second priority is? Is to make sure that the devil has the least amount of influence in my life as humanly possible. And as much as goes on in this world today, that's a battle, and, and I ain't the only one in this room fighting it. Every day I walk up and my feet hit the floor, it's, it's put on the armor of Christ, right? The full armor of God. That's why, because when you step out of that bed, when you wake up from sleep, slumber, rest, you're going to battle. And you're going to be fighting all day, every day, until you lay back down. So that's my number two, number two priority. You know what number three priority for me is? Is to get as many of you to think the way I think. Because I think that's in line with what God would have us to do. God's number one priority Keep the devil at bay, number two. Bring as many people along with you as you can. That's what we're called to do as Christians. I ain't got no, nothing special. Ain't no special secret section in the Bible for a minister. You know that? It's not there. Ministers are applied to the same scriptures you are. And if I come to that conclusion from the scriptures, why can't you come to that conclusion from the scriptures? Message is the same. Truth's the same. But those people in this world that don't believe God's truth, God's word is true. That's the difference, folks. Do you understand that? People do not believe the word of God is true. And there's another whole sermon that I didn't realize I was running this late. I'm not apologizing. I'm just acknowledging. But the reason why more people are not in church, why more people are not accepting Christ as their Savior, the reason why that we see the world in the shape that it's in today is because people don't believe that God's Word is true. Now, why would people do that? Why would someone say, well, I really don't think the Bible's true? Well, what's the only evidence of the truth of God's Word walking around on this planet right at this moment? Christians. 
I'll leave that right there for you. I believe it's true. And you got to hear it. And you got to believe it. And once you hear it, once you believe it, you got to be like blind Bartimaeus. Ain't nothing going to stop you. Nothing going to stop you to get to the Savior. Nothing going to stop you to get to the only hope that you have for salvation. So I want to encourage you this morning, okay, whether you're watching on Facebook or you're watching on YouTube a little later on today or if you're sitting in this room, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't you dare let fear, embarrassment, a past history, a present condition keep you from coming to Jesus. Don't you let nothing stop you from coming because he is your only hope. Now, I want right along with that belief of the word of God, I am going to, not that I don't or haven't in the past, but I am especially with the shape of this world that we live in today. And I encourage and invite everyone in this room and everyone that will hear this message to join me in prayer that the Lord would move through the Holy Spirit on people to understand that the Bible is true. They've got to understand that God's word is true and how much effort is working toward the opposite of that. God's word's not true. People keep picking at it, chipping away at it, trying to bring, but they can never disprove the truth of it. But they create doubt. So join me in that prayer that people will believe it's true. You gotta hear, folks. You gotta believe. Once you do that, you're willing to repent of your sins and confess of Jesus Christ as your savior, you go to the baptistry for two reasons, Jesus said. For the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Once you're raised, you're raised that new creation. You follow faithfully until either Christ returns or we're called away in death. If you're like Barnabas, come. Come. God has grace and mercy for you just like he did Barnabas. Maybe you've already experienced that. Maybe you've already accepted Jesus as your Savior. Well, I want to encourage you to rededicate yourself to the service that God calls us to do. Be excited again about the salvation that Jesus purchased for you folks. Share your experience of salvation with people. Share your experience of the truth of God's word. There's one last slide. I don't know if it's up there yet or not. I didn't write that. I wish I would have. A guy named Chris Stefanik wrote that. I want you to read that. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to be silent just a minute and let that sink into you, okay? If your God allows you to do whatever you want, then your God is you. Make sense? If your God allows you to do whatever you want, then your God is you. I know God, and I know his son, and I know the Holy Spirit that guides me in my life, and I want you to know him too. We're going to sing this hymn of imitation, Is Thy Heart Right With God? If it's not, and you, I encourage you, to make it right today, would you come as we stand and sing this hymn of invitation?